0: Welcome to the AR-15 Podcast. AR-15 Podcast. This is the podcast about your favorite black rifle. This show is for you. If you're building your first AR, or you've been building ARs for years, there is something we can all do to take our black rifle to the next level. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We, uh, welcome back to the AR-15 Podcast. Tonight we're going to be going through with episode number 221. And we have uh, with us uh, Graham Rasmussen from uh, uh, Stray, St- Staley,
1: Staley Shooting Supply. Staley
0: <laughs> Shooting Supply. <laughs> All right. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, today's trends and uh, the AR side of the firearms industry and uh, how those trends are uh, evolving in our builds. So, um, J.D., why don't you tell the folks about uh, our exciting uh Patriot patch uh, collaboration so that we can get t-shirts, patches, and stickers to everybody that has an interest.
1: So uh, we put together with Ryan Cross and Jacob, or Jake, Jacob, but uh, we got together with them and did uh, a limited run of shirts, patches, and stickers for the AR-15 podcast. Um, We're already kicking around ideas for our next shirt. I think it should be a picture of Reed's face on the front and says, does this make you salty? I think it would be a big seller. I mean, I know at least I'd buy like five or six just just so I could have one for each day of the week and then on the seventh day rest. But um, we got together. We did a, a shirt to uh, promote the podcast, uh, sell them through the Patriot Patch Company. Uh, every shirt sold, we get a kickback to help us out with our SHOT Show coverage this year. So uh, check those out. There is a link at uh, firearmsradio.tv. Click on the AR-15 podcast. Also, if you go to the show notes of episode 221, you can find the link right there to pick up a shirt, patches, or stickers. And thanks to those who have already ordered those and uh, helping us out. So uh, that's one of the ways you can help us. Um, We have other ideas coming in the future. Right now, we're just kind of getting back to having fun and talking about NFA items all the time, nonstop.
0: You know, I think that's exciting. We will be the CNN of the NFA world
1: we we could. 24
0: hours cnn style nfa news
1: i only know that anderson cooper's on so if i'm anderson cooper what's the other guy that the british guy that they kicked off and sent back to piers morgan you can be piers morgan i'll be anderson oh, cooper
0: Yay! no that's not going to work
1: <laughs> um also want to um give a, a shout out to sx3 podcast that Graham's a part of um Stephanie and Graham, and then Carl and Stan. Am I missing anybody else, Graham?
2: Uh, no full-timers. There's a lot of part-timers, but yeah. not a lot of part-timers. Yeah. So uh,
1: it's, it's Stephanie and Graham from Staley Shooting Supply, and then um, Stan and Carl from The Gun Dudes, which is the first gun-related podcast that uh, I started listening to and got me to actually reach out and say, hey, Reed, do you, do you want a red-headed ogre to join your team? <laughs> uh, and he said Yes. So uh I'm actually a Stan fanboy. Stan taught me the most vital thing in life and because of him I have really improved my napping game. I've been able to go to sleep anywhere possible. So uh, I look forward to one day uh meeting the man face to face. So uh I'll we'll make uh, that happen. I'm sure. a big fan of the S X3 podcast, so check him out too.
2: Oh thanks, man. So Graham, how have you been this week? I have been busy this week, for sure. Good, but busy. Yeah.
0: So tell us, uh how is the AR firearms side of the industry? Is it doing well? Is everything in good shape? Uh,
2: everything seems to be in good shape. Everything is shaping up, honestly, as far as we're concerned anyways. I don't know if about industry-wide, but in our market, things are looking good. Yeah. That's
0: excellent. So So uh, we've invited Graham to talk about some things related to his um, involvement in the firearms industry. But before we do that, Graham, tell us. What have you personally been doing in the firearms world as far as you and your desire to shoot?
2: Ooh, recently been doing, trying to build a few guns, build a couple of uh, ARs, trying to get a couple of guns up to speed. Wow. Uh, I carry every day. Um, I got uh, I got a little experience of about five weeks ago now, probably. My six-year-old learned how to read. And we're walking into a building with a no firearms permitted on the premises sticker in the door. <laughs> <laughs> and we walk in and right in front of the security guard, he says, Hey dad, how come you can't bring your gun in here? <laughs> <laughs> uh, shut up for a second. Let's go see the dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> That's great.
0: That is hysterical. Yeah, oh,
2: you it <sighs> You love them. And we tried to exit the building as quick as possible. <laughs> oh,
0: no, was good. So I'm, uh, I'm taking
2: my son to a uh,
0: father-son camp retreat this weekend. He's six. Uh, told him that we were going to take some fishing tackle and, and poles so we could do some fishing. And apparently they sell a rocket-casting fishing rod that doesn't actually um, look like a fishing rod. Right, so that's what I have to buy him for him to consent. <laughs> I have to buy him what is essentially a
2: toy. <laughs> oh, uh, I love it! I love it. I, I, I don't I, have that problem. Yeah, you know, well, my six year old to go anytime I want, go on the boat. He always tells me how he outfishes me and everything. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: all right, so, um, JD, what have you been up to?
1: Not much, man. Uh, Working on some stuff for the show to get guests coming on. We've got uh, great suggestions by you guys. If uh, you guys have a suggestion uh, that you'd like to see, somebody you'd like us to reach out to, uh, hit us on the email. uh, AR15.podcast at gmail.com. That's AR15.podcast at gmail.com. And uh, we've got several things lined up. Uh, Some NFA, some not NFA. So should be some good shows coming up in the future. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Outstanding. Well so uh since I'm sure you're very interested, JD, uh, I've been out to my dear lease this last weekend. Had a little time to myself to uh do some work on the, the lane and, and just kind of reflect out in nature. It was it was a nice peaceful weekend.
1: I was actually quite concerned about you, Reed, because you sent me pictures I believe Friday night. Uh, And these were, you said they were moths, but I'm pretty sure they were small like pterodactyls. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, these things were massive. I was worried Reed was going to get carried away uh, by these Texas-sized moths that you had out there. All of a sudden, I'm I'm sitting with my wife watching a movie, and this big picture pops up on the screen of this moth that looks like Godzilla.
0: Well, the the moth literally was as wide as the... the From from stem to stern as long as the palm of or the the width of the palm of my hand um and its wings would cover up from the heel to the fingertip so it was about it was about that big it was a pretty big size moth that's awesome and it was it was moving fast it was hard to get a good picture of it but yeah it was huge um but you know, when I was out there, I had a chance to, uh, you know, sight in my, my deer rifle. I shoot a 243, uh, Remington 700. And then I got a chance to, uh, pull out, uh, a Mauser that I recently acquired. Um, what is it? It's a Turkish. I think it's a Turkish M38 Mauser. And so that was kind of nice. Eight millimeter took it out to 100 yards. Open sights, JD. And so I was I was dinging some steel out there. It was good. Did you use iron sights on your other side-in project? Oh, on my 243? Yeah. No, it's got a scope on it.
1: See, um, you just let me no, down. No,
0: wait a minute. I bought that thing yeah, you know, secondhand, and it didn't have sights. They'd removed the uh, front-side post and the rear sight. So what can I do?
1: I figure I've you'd have, ever- like, a magic iron sight wand or something to wave <laughs> over it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> And call me Gandalf, the <laughs> backup Iron Sight Wizard. Right?
1: I was going to go for like a wizard from Harry Potter, but sure, we'll go with Gandalf.
0: All right, fine. All right, so um, you know, I think uh, we we can safely move on to the main topic, and uh, why don't we kind of uh, unpack this a little bit for uh, everybody? So I have. Um, Consistently been building rifles since I started the podcast, and so I've got three under my belt here in the last couple of months. And JD just started building rifles in the last how long has it been, JD? Like three weeks. Yeah. So, and and you know, I think JD really wanted um, Graham to come on and verify for all of the listeners that he has in fact acquired parts, right? Not that Graham can swear to the fact that they've been put together, because um, I kind of suspect that they've been. Stuffed into a barely uh, empty section of your gun safe, JD, so that you can start hoarding the components to finish rifles. But
2: well, here, here's the thing: he ordered them from me, but I know he has a problem with them, so I've been holding on to them. I haven't even shipped them yet, right? Oh <laughs> i holding on to them to make the problem worse. <laughs> I'm having, I'm getting a parts intervention. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But
1: I did. I I wrote uh, Stephanie and Graham. And I said, all right, I need to put some of these together. And uh, we went through the path. And so in the next – I'm thinking October is going to be a pretty busy month putting some rifles together. One of them a little bit more intricate and uh, more custom to what I wanted to do with it. And then uh, the other two just kind of getting a base and then seeing how it's going to work out and improving it as we go. So I'm looking forward to it.
0: Well, all that to be – all that being said uh, I think the purpose that I wanted to accomplish tonight is to kind of just talk about you know some of the thoughts that we had when we used to build rifles the thoughts that um, go through our minds when we're building them today what we think uh, about that uh, angle in the future and then you know Graham basically being as steeped as he is and you know kind of a the places that people are going with their money, uh, we just want to get a sense of what people are buying and where they're headed in their thought processes, um, give you some insights, um, maybe um, be the canary in the coal mine for anybody that wants to get a hold of something that may not be there in the short term, or help you find out if there is some way to better spend your money more efficiently so you don't have to uh, cry more than once. But um, I think that's really where we're headed. J.D., any thoughts on uh the, the show's uh, overarching theme tonight? I
1: think it's just to, to expose what the builds we are personally, what Graham's seeing on, on the front um, of what people are doing, and just maybe giving some ideas, brainstorming a little bit about uh, why we do what we do.
0: All right. Well, that being said, J.D., why don't you start with your first build here?
1: So the, the first one that I actually wanted to start, I do have a 300 blackout build under my belt. And, um, that's uh, my first SBR that I have. And so I decided after shooting that one, I wanted a second one, I wanted to do a a five, five, six. So I, I got the tax stamp back. I believe it was 368 days, um, sat on the tax stamp for about two months and then finally decided to start doing something. So it's a, a arrow precision upper and lower. And, um, I wasn't really sure where I wanted to go with the stock. I looked at uh, several things. Uh, I actually wrote a, a company I'm a pretty big fan of to to get some more insight on uh, one of their PDW stocks, and um, didn't hear back from them. So I was kind of uh, I'm going to say that customer service is a big thing to me. So if if the customer service fails, and I understand things fall through the cracks every once in a while. But if it's like a consistent picture, then I kind of move away from that company for stuff. So one company that I've never had problems with when it comes to ordering parts or asking questions or getting, getting the answers to the weird questions that I have um, is LWRC. And so on the, my 300 Blackout, I do have their ultra compact stock kit. It uh, is comfortable for me. I'm a bigger guy, uh, bigger frame. So when I shoot... Um, I always worried about the size of the, the stock not being comfortable, but actually it turns out it, it's really comfortable for me to shoot. So I'm going to pair that up on the arrow upper and lower um, faxton had a group buy going on, on the uh, AR 15.com forms. Um, they were trying to get, I think it was 50. Uh, they needed 50 people um, to commit to buying before faxton would produce a run of the barrels. I believe the, the original barrels were a, a pencil barrel at uh, 10.3 inches. And so it got so popular that they actually decided to just uh, make it, to to add it to their, um, their regular product line and start producing them. So they canceled the group buy, and uh, I found out that they decided to go with a 10.5 uh, pencil barrel. So uh, that's what I picked up uh, for this SBR. I uh, went to an SA adjustable gas block, um, then for the handguard, use the F1 Firearms uh, C7K contoured handguard. Um, a little bit different look than uh, in my other one, and just wanted to kind of try something a little bit different. Um, I've been sitting on, and uh, we had them on, gosh, probably a year and a half ago. Was the Wisconsin
0: Trigger Company Reed? Yeah, yeah,
1: around there. And so I've played with it a little bit, and uh, I've said I just want the the right rifle for this to go into. So. Uh, that will be the trigger, the Wisconsin trigger company uh, setup will go into this uh, SPR. And then I'm um, going to do the SX3 bulk carrier group and uh, put it in there. And Graham and Stephanie helped me get to pretty much everything on the list except for the stock and the upper and lower ordered. So I'm uh, waiting for Christmas to come as I receive a package from uh, northern utah not quite sure what sites i'm going to run on, to, on it or what optic um that'll have to come a little bit later it'll probably be an aim point or something like that
0: so other than my influence was there something that directed you at the lwrc uh ultra compact stop
1: you know when i had questions when i built the first one Uh, Like I said, customer service is a big deal. They answered their social media pretty quick. They answered emails pretty quick when I was asking about, you know, I I just straight up, I said, I'm a big dude um, shooting these things. I want to make sure that it's comfortable for me. And um, they were quick to respond. So that kept them towards the top of the list. The the stock, the setup that I really wanted, um, I had talked to Rita had several interventions when I was like, I think I'm going to get this stock. And he's like, you're going to spend, $399 $399 for his stock. And uh, so he talked me back from the ledge several times. And then when uh, questions went unanswered and I couldn't really get a hold of anybody and even calling, I got some run around. I decided to just go with what I knew. And that is the uh, LWRC. So,
0: so is there like a weight theme here I and mean, you've got a pencil barrel? Um, you've got a pretty compact stock is the uh, handguard? A light handguard, or is that a pretty standard handguard? Are you trying to make it lighter, or is that just incidental?
1: Uh, the handguard's uh, only, you know, three quarters of a pound, so it's not that. Or actually, hold on, let me look at the stats here. It's just under a pound on the handguard. Um, it doesn't really. Um, it's going to host a, probably a Saker five, the five five six K. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's going to be. It's going to add a little weight to it. But uh that was one of the things on the three hundred that I noticed that the, the arrow handguard was a little bit heavier and uh I kinda I don't know. This the small compact package doesn't feel as balanced as a, a standard rifle uh when you're trying to balance out weight. So that may have been a subconscious effort to make it weigh a little less. And then I noticed the kids even shooting that that uh, three hundred blackout, the kids are like, you know, Audrey sitting there looking like Rambo hip fire and something as she's <laughs> laughing like the Joker. But yeah, I think a little bit, the weight played into it. I don't generally think about weight, um, but I think just the balance of the gun, I was going for a little bit more uh, the weight at the back of the gun to counteract uh, the suppressor that goes on the front.
0: All right. Um, how about your next one, your 308?
1: Um, so this one, I, I collect lowers and, I have a problem and I'm, I'm trying to work that out. Um, this Hi, starts, my name is JD. <laughs> I have
0: a lower addiction. I'm I a lower holic.
1: <laughs> a lower holic. <laughs> uh, uh, and so I picked up, um, I have four, uh, three Oh eight, you know, bigger, bigger caliber, um, lowers, upper combos, mm-hmm. um, two arrows and two new frontier armory setups. So I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with them and, because I haven't shot these for distance, I really haven't shot anything for distance, so I'm not sure I'm going to really like it. I wanted to do a really basic setup uh, and use quality parts. So I went with a, an arrow builder set uh, with the 15-inch handguard, um, the M5 upper and lower setup. Um, I'm going to do a Magpul PRS. Uh, and then I'm using a Faxon 18-inch um, rifle length barrel uh, that we're going to put on there. So I'm not exactly sure on the glass yet. And then pretty much everything else is going to be uh, aero precision lower parts kit, uh, aero precision, the nickel boron bolt carrier group. I did fork out a little bit more money for that, but just decided that I um, just wanted to make a basic build. And I mean, it's it's going to be solid with aero parts anyway, but uh, anything I want to tune or adjust in the future, I'm just going to have to, to see how it goes, how it feels, how I enjoy shooting it. So this is where I'm kind of stepping into a longer range shooting where I'm not quite sure, A, if I'm even going to like it, or B, uh, how I'm going to adjust and adapt to it.
0: Hmm. Uh, Well, tell me about your next build.
1: So uh, the next build is a 6.5 Creedmoor. Um, I figured I have the space. Um, Why not? You know, (laughs) <laughs> what's
2: another caliber
1: yeah what's, what's that <laughs> exactly and then then i'm told i need to build a, a different one and but um you know it's six five creedmoor we saw a lot at shot show um this past january i heard a lot about it you see a lot about it um i don't know if it's still the new the new thing or the the hot thing that's going on but i like everything i read about it in distance shooting so i wanted to give myself the the platform of having a, a 308 and then also a Creedmoor. Uh, the Creedmoor is on, on also an arrow builder set. Uh, I'm going to try the Luth AR adjustable stock um, over the Magpul PRS just to give me a little bit of diversity. Um, and then the rest is probably going to be arrow parts and a 20, I think it's the 22 inch uh, ballistic advantage um, barrel. That's going to be in that one. So those are the, those are the three that I'm going to kind of piece together the, The 308 really came in at the last minute when I started thinking, man, I I was looking for Anthony's handguard and started finding other parts, (laughs) realizing that I could actually probably pull off all three of these builds uh, within the month of October and then be able to shoot them and put some time on them and see if if long range shooting is something I enjoy or maybe it's something that I'm just not going to be into. Maybe I just want to do closer up stuff with uh, 556. and, uh, below. So those are, those are the three I've got in the, the first one pretty in depth and how I wanted it to come out. And then the other two kind of just standard baseline to see what I'm going to like, what I'm not going to like. I think the stocks are the two, pretty much the two big ones that I could find in the uh, 308, 65 area. Wouldn't you agree, Reed? I would think so. So I didn't, I didn't want to get too crazy because I didn't want to have it affect how I enjoy shooting it. So um, probably go with some vortex glass uh, on top of both of them and see how I like it and see if I want to keep going in that and then tune the rifles up, you know, start at that baseline and then um, turn them into, you know, monsters later down the road.
0: Yeah. All right. So what about the future?
1: So uh, Brownells came out with the uh, a one clone furniture. We talked about that a little bit last week. Uh, we talked to our guy at Brownells, and they are sold out. They're expecting a large order coming in. So I'm working with Brownells to order all the parts to build uh, one of their uh, M16A1 clones. So that uh, is in the future, something I'd like to do um, probably early next year. Uh, all of this is actually, a, this disclaimer, all of this is to get me until my... Um, TPM MP5 SD comes through the ATF. Like if I had that right now, I probably wouldn't be doing any of this stuff. So I'm, I'm trying to kill this addiction. Um, that, and then I want to build uh, one of the side charging nine millimeters from uh, new frontier armory, uh, the stuff that they got and um, add that to my collection. I'm also going to have to buy a safe, another safe. So um, those are the things I'm looking forward to in the future, adding to the
0: collection. Interesting. Well, what else you have to add to your segment of the show j d what do you mm-hmm. What do you think is changing or evolving in your your thinking from when you first started looking at builds from when you built your three hundred
1: you know i think um I think this is going to be it in the uh short barreled rifle arena um When all is said and done, I, I like my 300 and I'm pretty sure I'll like this one. I've got that MP5 coming and those are, those are all smaller rifles. And, uh, when I took it out to test fire, um, a couple weeks ago, the 300, I just realized that I didn't, I didn't really appreciate the balance of having, of having a smaller rifle so I think I'm just going to be good with those two. I think that's how I've changed. I used to be, you know, I was going to collect stamps and uh, become a stamp collector. And I think that still will happen in the suppressor area. And uh, I also kind of got an itch for a short barrel shotgun. But I think for the short-barrel rifles, I think this is it. Um, I think I'll have those three and just call it good at that and then build some regular rifles because what I realized is I brought out my Daniel Defense m 4 and as I'm shooting that, I realize I am much more comfortable shooting a full-size rifle, something with a 16-inch barrel, than I am shooting something with a 10.5 or an 11.5-inch barrel. It just doesn't, it doesn't work for me personally. I think each one of us are built differently, have different preferences, and um, maybe I thought maybe I hyped up the SBR stuff a little too much, and... When I really got my hands on it, I realized, yeah, you know, it's cool, but it may not be, it may not be the lowers or iron sights at that level in my life.
0: Well, you know, what I think is interesting is that you failed to recognize that a carbine is a short barreled rifle in your hands. Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: I mean, after you're holding something that goes, you know, the barrel ends at, you know, 10 and a half inches. And you have a compact stock on it, and you, you literally it's literally from one shoulder to the other shoulder against something that when you have the stock fully extended, you know can go your, almost to your wingspan of your torso. It makes a difference for me. So uh, it's not like I'm shooting something with an 18-inch or 20-inch barrel yet.
0: Well, with that being said, I think I can talk about a couple of builds I've put together. And some of the things that have gone on in my thinking. So let's start about, let's start with my 6.5 Grendel. So had an opportunity to get from Arrow a, um, gray builder set that, uh, came with, uh, it was just the upper lower receiver. I got a blender set because frankly, I've never been able to find uh, a set that wasn't, um, uh, that was blemish that I could actually find the problem, you know what i 'm saying? yeah, I love blemish sets because they say they 're blemished, and I look at them as like, i i can 't find anything wrong with it, so so I think it's a great deal, but um they had a handguard that was laying about um, because they completed their builder set um, series, and apparently this one just was an extra, so I got a complete set uh, at a pretty pretty good deal because part of it was blemished, and so I decided to build myself a new rifle. And I chose 6.5 Grendel as my caliber. Um, <clears throat> so the builder set I thought was a really good start. Um, Arrow is, of course, um, one of the manufacturers that I, I have a great deal of uh, fondness for because of their quality and uh, the way that they put their stuff together. Um, I got a barrel, a Grendel barrel from Brownells as part of their custom barrel sets. And I can't remember who the. Manufacturer is that does the work for brown owls, but you know, reputable, um, not a uh, flighty uh, barrel manufacturer. So I was real comfortable with where that headed. And it came with a matched bolt, which to me, I think was the critical component uh, for my barrel's choice because I wasn't interested in trying to track down a bolt and then buy a separate barrel. I wanted them basically to be. Um, to have been made in conjunction with each other. So that was kind of the driver there. And Brownells is, I think, still really, when it comes to some of their, uh, custom and, uh, branded, uh, AR gear, still very, very, uh, competitive when it comes to price, uh, in, uh, comparison to the quality. So I think you're getting a good quality for a fair price. Um, I, I, I chose, um, to have it uh, mount a uh, Saker from Silencer Co., so I put the Trifecta mount on it. And uh, to that end, I put a, a Sirac Ordnance low-profile gas block on it so that I could use it to kind of tune the rifle for me um, because my intention is to shoot the grendel Suppressed at all times or whenever I shoot it. Um, I went with Magpul Furniture. Uh, I went with strike industries uh, uh low receiver accessories, so uh I was pretty thrilled with those and um I put a Geisley trigger on it I think it 's uh the three gun trigger i 'd have to go look at the specific one, but i think i 've talked about it before you know geisley um when it comes to their upper end triggers i mean it still makes very very good stuff i 'm very pleased with it. and you know I think probably for me the most interesting component is Something I found from Magpul, their Mlock rail accessories. JD is we're we're on a uh, video conferencing deal. So JD, do you see this attachment here? I do. Uh, that is a piece of aluminum that allows me to mount that attachment on a standard tripod. Huh. And that created a very stable base from which to shoot. Now, of course, you cannot buy some, you know, jicky Chinese-made crap-tastic tripod because it's not going to withstand um, the forces or the weight that you're, you know, going to be mounting to it. But this is, a, uh, I think, a professional-grade photography tripod. And since I don't have any cameras I'm into photography with, I decided to use it for my gun hop. Anyway, so um, I think it was really kind of a a, a departure from the way I have shot in the past to not this on a tripod, but I was really kind of excited about that. It, it worked well, um, shot well, handled well, uh, nothing, nothing wrong with that at all. What
1: was the cost of that attachment or the,
0: you know, it's part of their uh, M lock line. It is aluminum. So I think it's on the higher end, probably anywhere from 30 to $50, somewhere in that neighborhood. Huh? You know, I'm, Sure that you can either find a deal or you know find someone trying to rip you off, but um, comparison shop, find the best price. But the the adapter is really very very helpful. You know, I think that you can go out and I think it's what is it? Is it the hog mount? Have you seen those? It's a big cradle, um, aluminum. They have a pretty wide bed to lay the. Stock of a bolt gun into, and for that matter, pretty much any other rifle that you can field it. And it allows you to really kind of clamp that rifle down, and put it on a tripod and, um, shoot. Well, this essentially allows you to use what is an industry, photography industry standardized mounting plate in a host of very high quality tripods to do the exact same thing. So the difference being, I only had to spend, you know, thirty, forty, fifty dollars for this, as opposed to I think it's somewhere around two hundred to three hundred dollars for the hog. For the hog saddle,
1: yeah, it's about three hundred bucks.
0: Yeah, and so you know they're different. Um, this is not as interchangeable as that hog saddle is, but uh, we're we're getting to the same destination. So I think that the trade-offs uh, more than warranted. Um, not having to spend $300 for it. So, you know, the Grendel, I took it out. I, you know, I've got Troy irons on it. I haven't put an optic on it. Um, I don't know where I'm headed in that direction yet. I have a clue, um, which will be, uh, I'll talk to you about in the subsequent, well, in talking about my last build. Um, so I, I've got some, some angles, some ideas on where I want to go with that. But, you know, right now I'm, I'm really excited about the, the rifle. I think it does it a fine job for me. Um, You know, the next one uh, that I built is the 357 SIG SBR. And, you know, there are some things that I put in the SBR that really kind of, I think they speak to some of the ideas and some of the things that are going through my mind when I'm looking at builds these days. And so the first is that, you know, I, I never used to think that I would get a pistol caliber AR. I mean I thought that was that was what an MP5 is for. You know, you put pistol calibers in subguns and of course, you know, I'm willing to commit the resources to buy a subgun, but um when it comes to <coughs> No, no, you just bought a toy. That is not a <laughs> submachine gun because it's not I'm a machine gun. It's the closest I, I'm, I'm, gonna I'm gonna get. It's, it's yeah. the closest I'm ever gonna get. So as soon as I'm ready to commit to the the sub gun, which I will, just to spite JD, one of these days, <laughs> um, you know. And and I and I always thought, look, you know, if I'm gonna get myself a pistol caliber, anything uh, that uh, isn't a pistol, it's gonna be an MP5. But you know, I I became very fond of the 357 Sig uh, cham- uh, chambering. And I found a way to get myself into that 357 SIG in an SBR. And so with that being said, um, I took what I had in terms of an existing SBR, I mean, an existing 357 SIG upper married to a uh, um, Lone Wolf um, distributors. uh, I think it's a G9 uh, lower. And uh, I basically redid the upper. So I got a quarter circle ten three fifty seven sig barrel, uh, seven and a half inches. I got a YHM uh, Yankee Hill Machine MR seven handguard because um, really, in terms of uh, MLOC versus um, um, keymod, oh keymod. I'm drawing a blank. Um, I I've, I started out being a very big fan of the uh, M- uh, keymod and a very big fan of the accessories that were being made because. Of the number of companies that were out there making them, but then uh, basically, I think two things happened. Number one, they were always sold out. Whereas um, Yankee or I mean the Magpul, their stuff is so prolific, it's always available. I, I I found it hard to go to a place, either online or in person, where I couldn't find Magpul rail accessories. But you know the the Qmod stuff was always such a bear to find. Um, and then the the next thing is is that you know, I found better kind of uh, rail, um, you know, rail grips, rail um, covers, rail accessories um, that uh, were available for the M-Lock uh, as opposed to keymon And so I just have gradual, gradually gravitated towards the M-Lock, even though I don't think I was as fond of it in the beginning. Mostly it's because it's not backwards compatible with their old system, and I thought that was kind of a – I thought that was a rotten thing to do to consumers to give them all this new MMOC stuff, but then not give them a way to carry forward the stuff they've invested in already to a new system. So
1: I have a question. Yeah. If I still, does it make me a freak because I still prefer the quad rail?
0: I, I don't know that it makes you a freak, maybe out of touch behind the times, not cool. You know, you, you, you can go from there.
1: I well, never been concerned with any of those three We'll do an n f a show on it
0: there we go so you know the the thing that I've kind of tended to uh in the last however many years it is is my rails are getting thinner and thinner. you know this one has a pretty There's... large inside diameter so it'll host a sus- uh, suppressor inside Presser. the 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 uh, interior of the rail. And so they're not some of these, you know, very skinny handguards. Um, but, you know, I used to have YHM, uh, I think it was the Diamond Series quadrails. Those things are big. They're just big. And, you know, I do not have enormous hands. I mean, I don't have tiny hands, but you know, I just got to a point where I was didn't want all that real estate. And so I dialed it back. And, and these are much thinner handguards on the uh, MR7, and I, I really do like them. No. Um, you know, Midwest Industries has always uh, been one that I like as well.
1: I want to insert a conversation we had when it came to to not to hijack the thing, but when you're talking about thinner handguards and things like that, Um everybody has their own preference of things. When we were talking about handguards for my build, you and I, you know, on a phone call, you're not a fan. I'm a fan of one look. You're not a fan of one look. Do you remember what we were talking about?
0: No, but I'm sure you're going to throw me under the bus with it. No,
1: no. It, it's not. It's just a, it's just the different. It just shows the difference of, you know, Reed influences a lot of my builds and things like that because of the wisdom that he has in in his experience with firearms. Uh one of the places we differ is, you know, how the suppressor's mounted.
0: No, you no. know,
1: I I want, you know, into the rail. My handguard is longer than my barrel, so I'm cool with, you know, it covering part of the suppressor and being, you know, married back up in there. Reed's not. Reed wants the suppressor separate from the handguard. Now, to be able to shoot it without a suppressor, I have to get something in. I'm looking into like a a flash can or a flaming pig or something that moves it out and in front away from the handguard. Something that Reed doesn't have to do with his separated. But I just thought that. I just thought that added to the diversity of the builds because you like it, you know. You like rock and roll. I like country. So
0: yeah, and and you know, I think it's the idea to me that if I am going to commit to something in a build, I need the widest number of uses. That's what I strive for. And so, to me, the idea of putting a muzzle device on a rifle that is hosted uh, deeply enough in the handguard to where if you started shooting you'd essentially melt your handguard with you know the the burning or I guess you know all of the the exhaust and discharge from the round to me that seems like a very limiting part of that rifle which you know puts you in a position where like you are JD you have to find something to solve that problem or you always have to shoot it with a cannon and you know To me, I think that that's kind of limiting, and it it may be that um, I only have the one, uh, you know, truly I think um, universal um, AR can for me, which is the Saker. You know, if I had a um, Saker five five six, and I basically committed to having a seven six two and a five five six, then you know I would be able to have more than one can mounted to a rifle, and you know, perhaps I can have one um, on some of my rifles more, more, more on a a more frequent basis. But, you know, I I just like to be able to, you know, pull them out, uh, get them out and use them without having to worry about whether or not I've got a can handy or, you know, available to mount on it. So why would I limit myself in that scenario?
1: And see, I'm, I'm telling when we discuss this, I said, I'm going to make, I'm going to have dedicated cans for that for those two rifles so that they have a uh, five, five, six K and uh, probably the new Saker ASR uh, on those two that are just dedicated for those two rifles and then have other cans to use uh, to rotate between other ones. Mm-hmm. My kids college fund keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller right now. We are hoping to like afford that preschool for college on the corner that uh, you know,
0: what half day preschool. What's the thing? Have you guys decided that your kids are going to have like a steel cage death match to see which one of them gets access to the college fund first?
1: The funny thing is, is we'll have that match. We'll like tell them and we'll hype it up. But the winner is going to be really disappointed when I hand them 20 bucks and say, congratulations.
0: (laughs) Congratulations. Here's the college fund. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, so, you know, on my SIG SBR, one of the things I came to uh find was a an adapter that uh, fit the thread uh pitch on the, the barrel that is essentially a three-lug adapter. And because it doesn't have any of the traditional vents that you find in a compensator or even most of the flash hiders, uh it's just basically extends the barrel out just a, a smidge. I'd say probably three quarters of an inch past my handguards. So Interestingly enough, the handguard is just long enough to barely cover the edge of uh, the octane. And still, without the octane on it, it uh, protrudes just past the handguard far enough to where I'm not uh, concerned with any of the exhaust uh, melting my handguard. And so I think it was purely... You know, incidental that it worked out this way that I could do the very thing that JD wanted to do without having to risk the very thing JD has to risk.
1: I was going to pay you a compliment and say it wasn't just you know accident. I was going to say you planned it that way, but then Uh, you had to go and be then you had to go be rude. So it's uh, all right.
0: It's honest. I had to be honest. Um, I I and you know what I think that that's what I find a lot of times in my builds. Um, I try to solve the problems that are of concern to me and you take from that what ends up, you know, I tried to solve the problem of having a a suppressor on a SBR and not have the muzzle device melt my handguard In doing that, I happened upon the, the mounting that allowed my suppressor to kind of rest just inside the, the inner diameter of my handguard all accidental. And, you know, the, the, 357 SIG is a pretty powerful round. Uh, We don't have a bolt that locks up, so it's direct blowback. There's no um, gas tube to worry about. There's no um, gas block to worry about. Uh, So that's out of the equation. But because of the force of the round, I have a really um, heavy spring and a really heavy buffer uh, to have this thing cycle for me properly. And unfortunately that means that I don't have a whole lot of choices with my buttstock. So this is a very traditional um, Magpul buttstock, and I'm using a a primary weapon system, uh, uh, second-generation enhanced buffer tube. And, you know, it's not the the small scale I wanted uh, with, like, uh, ultra-compact stock um, from um, LWRC, But you know what are you going to do, right? You you basically go in and you commit to the overarching items, and you're left with choices regarding the remainder that are driven by those primary themes. And so, you want 357 Sig, you have to have the heavy barrel, I mean heavy spring, and that means that I have to have a full size buffer tube, and that means that I'm limited in what kind of stock I can mount to it. You know, not a bad thing. It's just you know the limitation of the decisions. Um, you know, I went with the mag pullback up sights. I haven't put a an optic on it yet. You know, I think at this point I probably have more rifles without optics than I have with optics. Probably a good thing I can shoot them.
1: <laughs> so I just, I just picture you like pulling out some whiskers out of your beard, throwing it up, checking the wind, looking at it. You don't even use iron sights anymore. You just you just picture them there. You project them on the rifle, you lock it in, and you nail it every time.
0: I'm just so used to putting the rifle where it needs to be that I can just stare off into space, and that's where the bullet's going to hit. I mean, any guy
1: who you know turned down the role of Moses in the Ten Commandments been around for a while.
0: Shut up. Shut up, shut up. <laughs> so that leads me to this third build, and it's not an AR. So I want to just kind of point that out. It's a uh, 6.5 Creedmoor. I built it on a Howa Action 24-inch barrel. It's beautiful. It shoots really well. Uh, took it out to 500 yards and ding and steel consistently. Not a problem at all. Um, I'm not sure how big the target was. I don't think it was much more than, I don't know, It's probably 12-inch to 15-inch plate, uh, 500. So anyways, um, one of the things that really has always kind of galled me is, you know, a $3,000 price tag for a good piece of glass. And so that kind of drove um, the principal decision I had to make. So to me, the biggest problem I have with optics is the price. And yes, I understand the span of quality between, you know, the low cost leader and, you know, the three and $4,000 optics. I completely understand them. I've looked down. Uh, the tubes of some of these higher end optics, and it's amazing. But the job can still be done with the lower power optics. And, you know, I don't own a $3,000 rifle, so I don't feel the compulsion to put a $3,000 piece of glass on something that isn't that nice. But there are other options. There are shortcuts. There are compromises that can be made. And that can put you into some glass that really is going to solve the problem. So, you know, I don't need to make a two-mile shot so I can make some compromises. I don't need to make a life-or-death shot so I can make some compromises. What I decided to do was go with the fixed-power optic, which eliminates the complexity of the various focal planes. It el- eliminates the complexity of uh, the mechanics that allow you to zoom uh, from, you know, 4 to 25 or 4 to 16 or 3 by 9 or whatever it is your optic's capable of. Uh, and that brings the cost down significantly. And so I went with the fixed 20. You know, I think a lot of people think that's too much. You know, my aging eyes would disagree. I think it's just fine for me. Um But with that, I purposefully went with an optic that was going to get me that magnification that I wanted so I can reach out to a thousand yards or so. And that was really the point of the exercise for me. It was to be able to reach out a thousand yards. Um, you know, the, the optic uh, I bought, uh, it's the SWFA uh, super sniper, uh, I bought a 20 power fixed. And it was uh what I thought a reasonable $300. You know, I looked through uh, in my, Last range day, a uh, night force that was you know a thousand dollars, several thousand dollars more expensive than my my scope. It was probably twenty three hundred to my three hundred, and it was a little clearer, but not so much that I'd pay two thousand dollars to be able to see that clearer. And I was still able to hit steel at five hundred yards without a problem. Hmm. And so <clears throat> it is a bit of a compromise. Well, I'll tell you, it's nice to be able to dial back your Zoom so that you can get a wider field of view and really kind of understand what the lay of the land is down range. But, you know, that's not why I built the gun, and so I'm willing to make that sacrifice. And, you know, I may very well find myself in a place where I'm going to put a couple thousand dollar piece of glass on it and kind of take the next step up. And when I'm there, you know, we'll come and talk about how much that hurts.
2: <laughs>
0: but, you know... So $300 was for me a very, very palatable, uh, for what I got. Um, the point of bringing that, you know, to your attention is this. I am now, I think more than anything, of the opinion that I'm willing to put that kind of glass on my Grendel, you know, on a 308 that I have, you know, on, um, my next future build, which will be a two forty three. You now, I'm willing to put a three hundred dollar piece of glass, you know, with the fixed sixteen or twenty power optic on it, at three hundred dollars. I'm willing to do that all day, every day, if I can get the performance that the SWFA stock, or I mean, a uh, scope gave me. And so, you know, I think that that uh, that's the kind of I don't know consumer arbitrage that you you can sometimes find yourself in, and. um, You know, Graham and and you and I had a discussion about this in terms of triggers um, earlier before we started the show. You know, um, a standard trigger is pretty much, you know, junk metal. And, you know, it just barely meets the objective. And, and, um, I mean, it's the minimum acceptable. But then there's plenty of stuff that comes on the market that tries to look like the minimal accepted. And it's worse. It's junk. It's crap. So, uh, as we discussed, you pay $15 more and you get a, a... what is it? The QMS that's fifteen dollars more, Graham.
2: Yeah, yeah, right so, about that. Fifteen, eighteen, maybe, maybe. And that's
0: an exceedingly high quality trigger in terms of the commitment to what the trigger should be as a finished product in terms of metallurgy and quality and uh, components going into it. So for fifteen dollars, you can completely eliminate any guesswork as to whether you bought crap or just you know the bare minimum acceptable. Um, And so for me, you know, buying a $300 optic that's got a fixed 20 uh, power made by SWFA um, allows me to get into that zone for a couple thousand dollars less than the things that are the starting point for the higher end. And, you know, like I said, you make compromises. You don't get certain things. It's fixed. The glass is not as clear, but it tracks real well. And the glass is good enough. And so, you know, I think to me, my objective is to always find those opportunities when I commit my money. Now, there are places that, you know, I just I, I don't take shortcuts and, you know, I won't compromise in those places. But with the parts, I think there are places you can go where you can be really efficient, and really effective with your spending dollars and not break the bank.
1: So I'm going to ask you, what are the, say, give me two things that you won't compromise on?
0: So I won't compromise on a suppressor. You know, I know that there are a lot of people that are, I would say they're manufacturing um, consumer NFA items to have fun with. And that's fine. But my thought is, is that I want someone to be able to use this, you know, a thousand rounds from now you know, 10,000 rounds from now, a hundred thousand rounds from now, because it was built and over-engineered like nobody's business. Hmm. Um, the other thing is I think pistols, you know, I, my pistols are for the most part, higher end, higher cost pistols. Um, uh, what is it? The high point? That's the $150 pistol.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: It, 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 it boggles my mind. I cannot understand why anybody would spend $150 on that pistol. Hey, they just run. They run. I, I understand. <laughs> you know? Um, what was it? I used to have an old... Gosh, I can't remember the car. It was a rattling death trap with a four-cylinder engine and four-wheel drive. Studebaker.
1: Yeah, a Studebaker.
0: No, shush. <laughs> <laughs> but... You know, it was it was a coffin on wheels. <laughs> and, you know, you know, I was I was, you know, just in the beginning of my post Marine Corps trying to get an education, trying to survive days, and, and this was what I could do. It was a Subaru, Subaru Justy. If you look at those kind of nineteen eighties something, ninety something, it 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 shouldn't have been imported. It was nothing but a Death
2: trap. It was a coffin on wheels. You get into an accident, they just throw the whole damn thing in the hole. Hey, don't don't trash on the Justy. We used to have one. I rode in the back window all the time. (laughs) Six kids. That was the only spot I had. I was one of the youngest. It's all good.
1: It explains so much about Graham. (laughs) I mean, how many times did y'all get rear-ended, Graham? I mean, be honest.
2: Zero in that car for sure. I'd be dead. I wouldn't be here right now. See, <laughs> Graham knows. He knows. You know, the the point is, is
0: that there are some things that you can buy and you look at it and you're like, what the hell did I just do? And I just don't know why you'd go there. You know, it's not even a cry once, you know, buy once, cry once. I mean, I just – I don't understand. why would you Why would you go and buy, you know, canned food that has like, you know, the – the top bulging out because you know there's salmonella or you know uh, botulism botulism in it. You know why? Why would you buy that? Why would you set yourself up for that? And you know there are just things that I think you should avoid, and I think most people would agree. And I guess reasonable minds can disagree, but you know, good God, a high point? What the hell? <laughs> you know, I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just I'm literally. Well, what what are you thinking? But you
1: if, know, if you, you only
0: have 150 bucks, any protection. Trojan. I'm telling you what, a Louisville Slugger will do more than a high point. And you know what? With a Louisville Slugger, I can get a lot of them for $150 and have them all over the house, all over the house. I I could have one in every
2: room. I don't know. Bats are pretty expensive these days. Well, maybe I'm thinking about 1968 dollars. Yeah, maybe or 46, 1946. <laughs> <laughs> I, I
0: think Graham needs to get off the train.
2: <laughs> no, I listen to the show. I just follow with JD. Yeah, uh
0: huh. Band show. All right.
1: I would say in the in the AR, the thing not to skip on is probably the bolt on the barrel. Um, for me, is I won't, I mean, suppressors and pistols. I've, you
0: know, Oh, you're talking about AR stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, I'll go with you on pistols too, because I, I buy H and Ks. So, I mean, you know,
0: Well, they're, they're just things that you shouldn't compromise on when it comes to a rifle. I would agree that the bolt you shouldn't compromise on the barrel. You know, I think that there is an outside limit to, uh, how many compromises you can make, but you can make a really decent barrel for very, not very much. You know, I, I think FN can attest to that. They make mm-hmm. some really high quality barrels that, that don't have, you know, just tons and tons of, you know, space age technology in them. Um, it's kind of circa world war one, world war two technology. And they're perfect um, bolts. I, I don't think you should sh- skimp on bolts and I don't think you should skimp on sites you know, whether it's an optic, um, you know, I, I think you can make some compromises there as long as you have a good quality set of irons. You know, if you have a quality set of irons, you can be on target anytime, any day. Um, you know, there is a bottom threshold, I think, with, with optics. I mean, look at Vortex. They make some really great stuff for not very much, right? Yeah,
1: you get the bang um, for your buck there.
0: Um, but you don't have to break the bank and Uh-oh. and you are compromising from the standard. You know, you're, you're not buying a Trigicon. You're not buying an aim point. You're not buying an EOTech, but then again, you're not forking over the dough that those require. And so I think that that's a fine compromise. Um, you know, I don't think the same is true of backups. You know, mm-hmm. look at your baseline, you know, Magpul backup iron sight. The, um, the polymer ones and compare it to the Chinese crap. I mean, that's some junk. Why, why would you even take the cost-effective route? Because it's not going to get you anywhere. It's just going to disappoint you. Um, so I think irons, those are things that you shouldn't compromise on.
1: So, Graham, I'm going to ask you for the two things that you wouldn't compromise in an AR build.
2: I would say bolt carrier and trigger for me. Those are the two things that have screwed me in the past. What talk about triggers? Triggers. Oh man, I've had a lot of really garbage triggers in the past, and uh y- you know, ones that the break probably twelve pounds by the time you get them through. Really gritty, really nasty AR triggers, mm. and I've sw- I've switched to. I mean, QMS is the lowest thing we run at the shop. We don't sell anything with with uh, anything lower than the QMS trigger, but in my rifles, all of my triggers are closer to $200 or more in all of them, because I've noticed a huge accuracy curve as far as triggers go. I mean, that messes me up. I don't have very good fundamentals, so I don't need a trigger working against me. I, I spend as much money as I can there. If I got a $400 rifle, I'll put a $200 trigger in it on top and I'll be happy, you know, but, uh, yeah, I think – and bolt carriers, for me, some of them just don't like certain guns. You yeah. know, I, I run them and just uh, – especially in builds. In a gun you buy off the shelf, they're they're basically set. They're ready to go. They've tuned them. But with guns that you're building, some bolt carriers just don't work. And, I mean, they work, but you got to over-gas them or under-gas them. So, yeah, for me, it's spend money there. I spend I spend as much money on my bolt carrier and my trigger as I do on the rest of my build on a lot of them, honestly. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting to watch.
1: So here's my... From your earlier story, you told us off the air about an experience you had with ammo. Do you guys compromise... Would you guys compromise on the ammunition you buy to run through your ARs?
2: <sighs> That's a tough one because any not any but most of your ammunition manufacturers any of your bulk manufacturers there's a risk right they're running 10,000 rounds before they check around so bad things can happen in 10,000 rounds there's some manufacturers that check every 100 rounds and typically you're pretty safe with those but you're going to pay 75 cents a hundred dollar a round for for 556 so i think uh Sometimes on some of my builds, I'll sacrifice it. Let me just break it down like that to answer your question. Yeah. On my cheap guns, I'll sacrifice money for on the rounds over quality, but on my good guns. No, I mean my, my precision rifle, I don't think it's seen a round go through it. That was less than 75 cents around ever in its whole life because it's a, it was an expensive gun and it's made to run tight groups and I don't want to shoot it out. I mean, the 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 problem we had that we talked about off air was a mainstream ammo manufacturer, and there happened to be a round that was not crimped well enough. And as it hit the feed lip, it pressed that projectile in just a little bit too far. And as most people know, those cases are full, right? On a five five six two two three case, if you reload, you fill them. If you press that in just a little bit past where it's supposed to be, you're way over pressured rifles blow up. This rifle blew up i'm uh, the the customer it was a friend of mine actually, and I'm so glad he didn't get his face shot off it was it was scary. If it wasn't a billet upper, if it wasn't a heavy duty billet upper, he would have been hurt. He would have hurt seriously. Yeah. So it's hard to say you know you should be able to trust the big name brands, and I'd say generally, you can this happened to be an exception. it happens it happens with in in their defense it was uh about a year and a half ago when ammo was still flying off the shelves right so they're they're running at 120 percent capacity to just try and keep everybody in ammo so probably more things slip through qc than do these days but uh i don't know yeah i i i've bought cheap ammo but i've never bought 30 cents ammo i've i've always spent at least over 50 probably for everything i've ever bought
0: yeah. You know, I think for me my first lesson came with some steel cased ammunition. Um and it wasn't your standard Russian esque stuff. Um it was a uh in house brand for a sports uh uh outdoor sporting goods retailer and um it fired well, it ejected uh, or it tried to. Um, but but essentially it 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 failed to eject because there was something about either the the amount of powder or you know it was under gas or something. And I would put standard brass ammunition in there, and the thing would just cycle like a you know grandfather clock. I mean, the thing was just perfect. But whatever the steel case stuff was, it just wasn't doing the trick. And you know, I took it back. They accepted it i explained and they they were gracious they took it back you know wow. missing how many rounds it was because it was a big bulk purchase and i was very pleased with that <clears throat> but to me that was kind of the first lesson and not compromising and and here's the the second lesson um i, I went out with a um box of you know steel cased uh 357 magnum projectiles and, and I never would have thought that I would have a problem with um, a, a wheel gun and steel case. Right. But I did. I fired the first round, didn't have a problem, um, and fired the second round, and it locked up. Because the case came back and basically got lodged um, in the cylinder, um, not quite deeply you know, uh, seated as it probably should have been. Mm-hmm. Um I had to force the the cylinder you know out of the uh force it open and uh drive a dowel to get the two rounds out because they were locked up in the cylinder oh wow,
2: so it it had pressed back into the frame
0: yep oh man, and it had expanded inside the chamber to the point where it wouldn 't release <laughs> and and i 'm thinking to myself, well, I am never buying this stuff again.' <laughs> right. That's that cured you for life. Exactly. And and you know, I never would have thought I would have had to worry about steel case and a wheel gun. But and and, and it was two different chambers. The both of them the the, the case was locked up inside there I mean, I just I think it's phenomenally weird. So that yeah, was that, I've been cured very easy. I'll never buy another Mm-mm.
2: I think the only steel case I ever ran through was my Howa Action 308, and it ran yeah. like a dream. I, ha- I ended up getting a bunch of steel case on trade. I thought, okay, what the hell, you know, <laughs> we'll throw it through. It's yeah. fine. I got to break in the barrel somehow. So I did right. it that. No problems. I've never run any through an AR. I've had customers run it through an AR, and some of them get away with it, no problem. Tighter tolerances, any quality, like high-end, match-grade even barrels. They don't like yeah. to run in it. They're too tight tolerances and the lacquer buildup. Maybe I don't know if they don't they don't factor that in because they lacquer coat those steel cases. Right, maybe right. that was well, not everybody does, but a lot of them do. Maybe that's the problem. I don't know. <laughs> that's crazy.
0: Well, and I mean, certainly the brass is a softer metal. Uh, the expansion characteristics under pressure are different. Sure, uh, it, it could be any number of you know compounding factors that together. Just make them more finicky. Uh, Anyways. So, Graham, why don't we talk about your... Squirrel. uh, (laughs) Squirrel. Why don't we talk about your build, Graham? Uh, So, let's talk about some of the things that that you like.
2: Well, let's see. I guess the most recent is last week, I milled out my first 80% lower. I didn't put that in the show notes, but uh, that was a lot of fun. I've never done it before. I've sold a lot of 80% lowers. And it was a blast. I'm not going to lie. If you haven't done it, do it. It's fun. So tell me,
0: did you take the in-home router drill press approach, or do you have more sophisticated equipment accessible?
2: Well, I do have more sophisticated equipment accessible. However, I took the drill press hand router approach myself. Uh, Less programming time and... (laughs) you know what with how I thought it was going to be a little bit more complicated. I'm a craftsman by, by trade. And so I, I wasn't worried, but I knew it was going to be intense. I got into it, it wasn't that intense. I, yeah. I used, I used the 80% arms gen one jig. I'd like to get their gen two jig just to try it out. Cause it looks a little bit more intuitive and a little bit more complete, but right. The Gen One did great. I I didn't have any complaints. Everything worked out just fine. Um, and it probably took me. I'm I'm fairly meticulous, and I'm fairly. I, I like to take my time, whether or not it's supposed to take my time. If I'm not on the clock anyway, <laughs> so I think it took me four and a half hours probably to mill one out. Okay. Um, and I was switching between the drill press and the and the router. It was fun. I recommend it highly to anyone that wants to do it um yeah good time it's after you've built a rifle the next step is milling your own lower and i've told so many people to go do it but i figured i have no plans for a build for this lower i just thought you know what i gotta build one of these lowers because i tell so many people to do it i gotta do it myself so i can say how much fun it is maybe give a little insight although i can't help anybody or anything because it's not legal but um yeah, no, do it. If you guys haven't built one, build one. It's fun. Well,
0: you know, I've got a couple of uh, receivers and a jig, so I'm I'm I've got that in the horizon. But here's the thing that I've I've got a question about, and you know, I guess it's the purest, well, not the purest, it's the completionist in me. Mm-hmm. I don't think I could stand to have uh, an uncoated eighty percent lower receiver on any gun I had. You know, just <laughs> shiny metal would just pick at me and pick at me and pick at me. I, I, I just couldn't stand it. So did you coat yours? Do you, did, did you do something to finish that out?
2: I probably will. I've got equipment to Cerakote and I've got some black, so I probably will tape it off and Cerakote it. I've got a few friends, also clients, that bought 80% lowers, and they used uh, an aluminum blackening agent. Okay, So it wasn't as good as Parkerizing or bluing or Cerakote or anodize. But it it uh, for the perfectionist in you, it takes it turns it black, so it puts it out of sight, out of mind, uh-huh. right? <laughs> so it, the, I mean, it's all interior. Once once the pins are in, once the once the safety's in, you know, you don't even notice the difference as long as you do a good job in the milling process. But yeah, they just uh, I think on Amazon they bought a little bottle of uh, aluminum blacking agent. It's just a chemical reaction. Just put it on there, turns black, good to go, and it and it does. Put a little sealant in there a little bit. It, it uh, weathers that surface so that it doesn't corrode quite as quickly. Okay. So, I but yeah, to answer your question, I, I'm going to ceracote it probably because I'm the same way. I can't stand <laughs> having rough stuff sitting around. So,
0: you know, I will tell you, I have a in law uh, who lives in Colorado, a graduate of uh, the Trinidad's Gunsmithing School, and uh, has the equipment to make his own barrels and every rifle in his house is homemade mm. and every rifle uh that's leaning against a door jam or up against the wall or off the couch or whatever it is has a barrel that looks as though it just came off of the lathe oh wow um the the actions are all you know bare metal He 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 doesn't blue him he doesn't go to me I'm sure he oils them. They don't look rusty. He maintains them. But I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, this! I wouldn't be able to stand that. I'd have to have everything coated. I'd blew it or I'd surcoat it. I couldn't deal with it. <laughs> I love it.
2: I love it. That's cool. All right. Well,
0: what else you got up here, Graham?
2: So my most recent build is not complete yet. Uh, it's an SBR. started with an F1 firearm skeletonized receiver set. I bought it last uh, Black Friday. (laughs) So I'm following JD's footsteps. I know how to buy them. I do not know how to put them together, at least not for myself. Um, I've been accumulating parts. I used quite a few sequence precision parts. I've got a 9-inch handguard, and I love their safety switch. They've got a 45-degree, and then you flip the barrel, and it's 90-degree. It's all billet. Cut the switch itself. Spill it. Cut. Uh, you can get it in several anodized colors. It's it runs on all of my rifles. Honestly, I don't run anything but a Seekon switch. Um, and I also do the Seekon's button, the mag release button. Um, on that rifle, I ended up running a Troy mag release, so it's an ambidextrous release. I can. It's got a little lever on the on the outside of the gun, on the opposite side of the gun, uh, for any lefties that may want to use my rifle, and then. I ran, let's see, an LWRC ultra compact stock like JD. It's a great stock. I mean, it's, it's short. It's shorter than a lot of your standard six position stocks, but for an SBR, it's ideal. In my opinion, it, it compacts really small and it comes out to a comfortable shooting length as long as you don't have a really high angle on your grip. It's really comfortable. I also used an LWRC Charging handle, the ambidextrous charging handle. If you guys haven't used those, treat yourself. Treat yourself. It's awesome. I've got one. It's hard to see, but it's got the the pins, the the pivot pins on the ambidextrous are huge. They're not a roll pin. It's big. It's probably three sixteenths of an inch. They don't wear out. They don't bend. They don't anything. It's really positive feel. Love. That charging handle, I can't even tell you. And it's cheaper, probably $10 cheaper than, say, the Raptor, you know, which is probably our highest selling charging handle. The Raptor charging handle, LWRC, takes the cake. And if you ask me, yeah, the, I
0: tend to put that Raptor in mine.
2: Yeah, it's a great like one. It. We, I mean, it, uh, people don't lie. There, we sell way, way like four times probably more Raptors than any other charging handle. But that one, As far as utility goes, it's sleek looking. It looks closer to stock even if you want kind of a quote-unquote sleeper gun or whatever. I don't know. I I like the feel of it. The Raptors are great. I've had them. I've run them. I just, on this rifle, I thought, I'm going to go with LWRC and have loved it. It's sweet.
0: Well, And I'm looking at the top of this Raptor, and you're right. I mean, it's got two roll pins in here. Yeah, it's roll pins. And there is a night and day difference between what you have in that LWRC. That, yeah, that's me, remarkable. I don't think I've seen the LWRC.
2: It might be overbuilt for the sake of overbuilding.
0: Well, but when was that a crime? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> what?
2: So I guess I should back up. When I'm building rifles now, I build for sex appeal, not necessarily <laughs> like <laughs> sex appeal and function. Like they're, they're, they're high on my priority list. Budget's usually not in, in my repertoire, but, uh, yeah, give give that LWRC a try. You won't be disappointed. It's it's a little different than the Raptor. It functions a little bit different. It feels a little different, but you'll love it. And you'll never wear it out. Not that you'll wear out the Raptor. I don't know if you'll ever will wear out those roll pins, but, hey, the added security of triple the thickness. Why not? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why not? <clears throat> so uh, I ran uh, SX3 bulk carrier group like JD did. It's Teflon-coated exterior, chrome-lined. They're actually a rebranded LWRC bolt. We bought them from LWRC, had them um, Teflon coated, and man, they're sweet. We have them done by Black Ice Coating, so if you've got one and you want it done, you can send it to those guys and they'll, they'll do it up for you. They're, they're awesome. I have any moving part on my gun that's not in the trigger group that I feel like I want to be slick and don't want to have to worry about if I've got too little oil on it or whatever, black ice it, get it coated. It's the Teflon. It's phenomenal. Um, what else do I have on that thing? Let's see. I think the I'm missing a grip, a barrel, gas block, gas system. So the last thing on my list, I guess, is a CMC Lantac trigger, three-and-a-half-pound curved trigger. I really like that trigger. I've run it in my other rifles. I'm not a fan of the flat trigger. A lot of people love it. I don't know if you guys have had any experience with it. I hate it with every ounce of my soul. I just, I, I cannot do the flat triggers at all. So I do the curved trigger. It's it's really nice. Single stage, you know, no creep, no over travel. It breaks. It feels weird shooting it because it's one of the best non-tunable triggers that I've owned, honestly, yeah. uh, especially single stage. Really like that trigger. Um, other than that, I think it's about it on that rifle. I think it's going to get a ten and a half inch barrel. Probably going to go with the Faxon pencil barrel, just for the sake of a little bit of weight. It's it's already a fairly light build. Um, yeah. Not not super duper light, but it's you know it's worthy of trying to keep light. Not not going crazy. Although um, on Friday. Uh, like the second or third of the month, whatever it is, whenever this comes out, um, I will be getting a dead air Sandman S suppressor for it, a 762. And they're fairly heavy. They're about a pound. um, So it's going to weight that thing down a little bit, but it'll be worth it. I think <laughs> for not going crazy on it.
0: Uh, you know, I kind of wonder with the, I mean, there's, there's, the two trends, three trends, I guess, kind of meeting in conjunction with each other. Uh, so the first is SBRs. Yeah. It's really easy to put together an SBR in terms of, um, you know, fill out the form, pay your fee, get your stamp. You're, you're done. Um, and then you go out and get a, a little bit of, you know, engraving work on your lower and you have an SBR. Um, so it's not like a technically difficult thing to do. Sure. Um Then you've got this trend towards really light. And I see that more and more kind of in the SBRs because uh experimenting with lighter materials, experimenting with um, relief cuts and just, you know, whatever it is to take mass off of receivers, mass out of bolts, you know mass out of any component you can to get as light as possible and when you have an SBR you've certainly taken mass out of the barrel because you've cut you know, what, 11 inches off the darn thing. Yeah, at least Uh, and then if you start looking at like pencil barrels and you know 7 to 10 inches, that's that much lighter, but then you have all of this weight reduction and then you put on it a suppressor (laughs) (laughs) you know, the, the for furthest tip of the firearm, uh, they're usually um, pretty robust in terms of construction so that they can handle the extreme of caliber, the extreme of rate of fire, the extreme of whatever. And I mean, the extreme of exhaust gases because you're putting it on a short barrel. Sure. Um, so, you know, at what point do you have a can that weighs as much as the firearm <laughs> itself sitting out there on the furthest tip? And how does that affect your enjoyment? Now, I, d- I don't think I'm—I've built anything where that is
2: an issue, but I wonder who has. Is that a problem? My question is: Is it possible? <laughs> if you've got a tiny little rifle that you got to suck clear up in this little SBRs, typically they have shorter stocks. You got them really small. You're packing a big punch. You're packing a rifle caliber punch, and then you hit it, and it goes uh-huh. thump, thump, thump. whose face does that not bring a smile to read i'm telling you it's
0: i i hear you i hear you (laughs) and you know i'm not complaining sure no i wouldn't turn one down (laughs) i'm just saying you know it's it's kind of like have you seen that guy that makes the cartoon swords or anime swords yeah you know i haven't oh they're hysterical i mean it's like you know a hundred pounds of blade sitting on like a 10 pound handle. (laughs) You know, the guy can't swing the thing, you know, (laughs) they're, they're hysterical. That's why they're in stupid cartoons because they don't exist in the real world. It's impractical.
2: Hey, if if you're ever buying guns because it's practical, you bought the wrong gun. Um, Just so you know, (laughs) you don't have the disease. You have What's the word I'm looking for, J.D.? It's something else. It's not the disease. The disease is impractical, (laughs) period.
0: Uh, um, I don't know that there's anything that I own
2: that is practical. Right? (laughs) Uh, My my Glock 43, my carry gun, that's the only practical gun I own. It's a practical gun and a practical holster, and that's it. Everything else is for fun. (laughs) <laughs> See I, I
0: wouldn't even say that my carry gun is practical. It's a it's a SIG P239 so. Okay, okay. yeah, not practical. It's it, it's 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 got some heft to it. Yeah. But then again, you know, um if I ran out of ammunition, I could pistol whip somebody. You tell me what you could do with that Glock.
2: <laughs> no doubt, not a lot, not a lot. <laughs> I could use it as a mini boat anchor maybe. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, gentlemen, um, I'm going to have to call this episode 221XLT, because uh, what are we on the recorder there, Reed? Well,
0: it looks like the recorder died, so good thing we have a YouTube the backup. YouTube backup. <laughs> <laughs> my fault. All my fault. See, nobody actually knows that for
1: 25 minutes, the battery <laughs> on Graham's computer died, His wife had to run out to her work, grab the charger, run back, plug him back in, and then he just fit seamlessly back in the show. (laughs) Nobody knew that he stepped out. Graham was just very quiet while we were discussing our builds.
2: I was just silently contemplating everything you were saying. (laughs) I was sweating bullets the whole time. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Last time I was on the show, I derailed it completely. This time... I just left halfway through. <laughs> and, I mean, we tried
1: to have we tried to have Stephanie from uh, Staley Shooting Supply on about two weeks ago, and she her excuse was like, "I, you know, the kids trying the baby's trying to come early." So I mean, you know, uh, between computer died and baby's trying to come early, you uh, SX three crew, you guys, uh, you guys are kind of a pain sometimes to get on the show.
2: We're we're a pain to get on the show, and once we get on the show, we're still a pain. We're just all the way around. It's all good. <laughs> I think we have to send out some technical experts. Your direction. Oh, please do. Maybe, maybe Do oh. this in
0: person with our own recording equipment.
2: That's why we do ours in person. We all sit in the room together and yell at each other until the batteries die, and then we call that an episode.
1: <laughs> well, we uh, we are going to get together with them and Shot Show and uh, sit down and record. <laughs>
2: All I can say is buckle up.
0: <laughs> well, here's the, here's the question for you guys: Are you coming to Dallas
2: for the NRA
0: show? Ooh, maybe
2: it's a Man. hard maybe. Yeah, Stephanie well, with with having the baby, uh, everything's rough for the next six months until the baby's just, old enough she can leave. I just hear excuses. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Put that, put, that put that thing in a sling a
0: and don't no. hold her back. Get if, if I had a company Right,
2: <laughs> little QD baby. <laughs> no, if I had a company card, I'd be there in a heartbeat. So far, she doesn't trust me enough. I don't know if this <laughs> face, this face is not trustworthy. So,
0: <laughs> well, maybe maybe just have her have her create an employee reimbursement expense reimbursement plan.
2: Ooh, I like that, that. way.
0: She can she can go through all of your receipts and say, "No, Graham, uh, we don't pay for <laughs> strip clubs." Uh, no, Graham. <laughs> This bar tab uh, uh, looks like it's your beverage of preference, and there's far too many. No, we're not going to do that. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, this was a company
2: company dinner. We'll pay for that. One hundred and eighty dollars in whiskey in twenty minutes? <laughs> no way. <laughs> <really? laughs>
1: well, man. Hey, thanks. Thanks for coming on the show. Going so long. We'll uh, move the feedback to the next week. Read and uh, okay. get us uh, something for next week. But uh, if batteries. you have batteries,
0: we'll get batteries for next week.
1: We'll get new, yeah, new batteries for the recorder. So uh, you may notice a difference in the quality from our normal show because we take it from the YouTube backup. But uh, the show's going to be there. Uh, send us any questions or comments. AR15.podcast at gmail.com. Subscribe and listen to the AR15 podcast for free on iTunes or Stitcher. Leave us a review. Share your pics with us on Instagram and on Facebook. Facebook.com slash ar 15 podcast check out the shirts they are available through the patriot patch company you can go to uh firearmsradio.tv, click on the ar-15 podcast you will find the link there or you can go to patriotpatch.co and click on collections and you will see our stuff there so with uh, that uh, episode 221 x x x and this one, almost two hours of thinking we've been going at it. So uh, thanks for listening, and uh, read final words.
0: All right, everybody. See you next time. Have a good night.
1: This has been a production of the Firearms Radio Network. You can find more information at firearmsradio.tv.